Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And I'm excited that you are listening in for season five, where we are starting off each month with a different young woman, sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. And so this month, our first episode introduced my German exchange niece, Tati. Tati shared about growing up in Germany, how strange it was to come to the U.S. and meet people who actually believed in God. And she talked about being content with her atheism and disbelief in God, in the God of the Bible. I loved that conversation with Tati and her honesty. So if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out that first episode with Tati and hear her story. We'll put a link in the show notes, and you can find those at findingsomethingreal.com, along with other things like free resources, a very occasional blog post, how you can financially help support this program. In fact, shout out to our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for all of your help and support of this program. And you'll also find ways to connect over there on the um, website. So all of that can be found at findingsomethingreal.com. And if you like this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Tati couldn't be here for this recording. It's about 1.30 a.m. in Germany. And as we talked about in our first episode together, she may not attend any of these recordings. And I totally respect that, um, that she's in that place in her life right now where she has more objections and questions to faith. But she brought up some solid topics for us to discuss. And you never know, because Tati, if you're someday listening to this, this episode, I hope is a love letter to you. But because Tati couldn't be here, I thought that it would be great to give you, as the listener, a sneak peek of someone special whose story you'll hear in the coming months. I'm joined today by my 18-year-old exchange daughter, Leonie. And like Tati, Leonie grew up in Germany and experienced uh, the novelty of coming to the U.S., where she's been hopefully lovingly confronted with a version of Christianity that she had never seen before. And you'll soon hear her share about her own questions regarding faith. Uh, Leonie, I'm excited for people to hear more of your story in a couple months. But in the meantime, thank you for being here to ask questions and represent a different perspective. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I I just (laughs) love it. I mean, 
we can pretend that I didn't just run through the house and bring yep. you home from school and everything. Mm-hmm. In just a few weeks, you're going home. Yeah. Which is kind of I'm really sad about that. <laughs> so you've been here almost 10 months. Uh, what are you taking away from this experience uh, from your exchange year in the U.S.? Okay, so I think one thing that I will take away besides the cultural differences from like America and Germany is that um, it's a huge difference to live with a family um, who believes in Jesus, and <laughs> which is a good thing. <laughs> so um, it was a really, like, still is a really nice experience. And I just think it's really beautiful to see how much the faith gives you and um, how important it also is for your kids. Mm. We're going to miss you a lot. And um, you've just been a huge blessing to this family. So um, I'm I'm sad too. Um, But anyway, uh, we're grateful to have you here. And today we're joined by a speaker and ministry leader who's currently in Austria. He works for Campus for Christ, the Austrian subsidiary of Crew, where he's working to create an apologetics ministry there named Profundum. I mispronounced that, but maybe you can tell us the real pronunciation, which is focused on building bridges and dialogue between Christianity and secular perspectives to show the truth and relevance of Christianity for the world. It sounds like our missions align pretty close there. I'm excited to welcome to the podcast Gernot, uh, I mispronounced it, Gernot Weilinger. That was very good. Thanks for having me, Tonel. Every time I mispronounce someone's name, I'm like, come on, how many times do you have to practice before you get it? Okay, how, how is it really pronounced? Garnot. 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 Um, Garnot, thank you so much for being here. You are in Austria, which uh, geographically wise is not that far from Germany, correct? Oh, no, it's actually we had a, the smaller, smaller sibling down south between <laughs> Germany. Yeah, so it's 1.30 a.m. where you're at right now. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, I just have to say, um, after we reached out to you, your enthusiasm for this podcast format and you being here at 1.30 a.m., I just am so grateful uh, for you mm-hmm. taking the time. And um, yeah, we really appreciate you being here. Would you tell us a little bit more about uh, your ministry? Mm, sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to be here. So it's pleasure is all mine. Um, yeah, my ministry is basically aimed at... so. I'm doing apologetics since um, three years. And one thing I realized is that sometimes apologetics is like a one-way street. So Christians keep on giving arguments, uh, but they don't show the other side, they don't show both sides. And then it's quite irrelevant. Yeah. Apologetics, is that what you said? Oh, yeah, apologetics, uh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just want to make sure I heard right. <laughs> right. Apologetics, we've talked about that on the podcast before. Mm. It means giving a defense for your yeah. faith, right? In a loving way. Mm, exactly so and sometimes those reasons are quite compelling for Christians that um, apologists give um, but they are not compelling for non-Christians at all or they feel like their questions are not heard and so I thought actually more interesting to have Christians and non-Christians in conversations together because then there's a more fuller picture drawn out there is a a better conversation I mean sort of like what you're doing Janelle Um, so that's why I was really really excited to just be a guest and, and learn about this podcast. So it's, it's really exciting to be here. Oh, well, I'm super excited about your ministry. Uh, if people want to know more about that, where, they, 
where could they find more information? Um, probably on Instagram, probably on YouTube. So if you go um, on on Instagram, profundum.austria is um, the Instagram site we are having. We have also a homepage, but it's not as fancy yet. So it's more it's easier for me to host Instagram than, than the homepage. So that's probably the best way to okay. get in touch. Okay, we'll put a link in the show notes yes. for all of that. Um, so you haven't always been a Christian. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about your Christian faith journey? Mm, sure. I mean, yeah. So from, from Austria, for those who don't know the country, is a culturally Catholic country. And that means that I would have always considered myself a Christian in the sense of, I think there's a poll that says 80% of Austrians call themselves Christians, but way less than 50% actually believe there is a, actually a God. And, and I think it's less than 20% that believe that Jesus has any relevance to, the, to Christianity. So I would have always, or I would have, early on, I would have called myself a Christian just for the cultural reason that that's what, what being an Austrian means. Um, became a punk in my teenage years. Um, so that's why I would have also rejected um, the Christianity label. Um, what is a punk? Uh, what, what does that punk? mean? Um, well, Leone's laughing. Things. Do you know what yeah. it means? <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean, Leone? <laughs> Do you know? It's like, I think it's like, um, isn't like also a specific uh, style of like clothes and like yeah. your appearance and everything? Yeah, You're just exactly kind of so. like going against everything uh in like your country's culture kind of right yeah, yeah so i had pink hair very long pink hair and very long green hair and um looked very different um yeah <laughs> spent my most most of my time in, at going to concerts and parties um and then i became a father when i was 18 so my my then mm -hmm. girlfriend now wife um we got pregnant as teenagers and actually through the questions of my own daughter um who, who was five years old at the time started to read more about Christianity, started to actually figure it out because I always thought Christianity is like a very, very nice fairy tale. It's a very relevant cultural fairy tale, just like, I don't know, other nice fairy tales we have in our culture. And I realized actually there's a, there's a true and living person behind it. There's a true God behind it. So um, after three years, I just realized it's true. It's relevant. It changes how I view life. So that's kind of my faith journey. And then it didn't end obviously goes on if you're encountering Jesus. It's just in a way new episode in, in the adventure of, of, of life. And so that's where I'm at at the moment. Wow. So your five-year-old daughter got you to investigate Christianity. Is that right? Mm, yes. That's, that's How did she I'm... do that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I always tell if I'm speaking at university campuses, I'm always telling I'm the right person to answer questions of skeptics because I was converted by a five-year-old. Um, <laughs> No, she, she basically just asked why. I mean, that, those, that's what five-year-old kids are brilliant about. And it's because um, Christianity still culturally existed in Austria. We had a children's Bible and um, we wanted her to, you know, have that among all the other fairy tales we had in our, in our um, bookshelves. And she really specifically wanted to read that most, most nights and then ask questions about it. So why am I not believing in this? Or what do I think about that? Or how, how do I explain this? And I wanted to give a good answers explained to her like why this is a very very nice fairy tale but it's nothing more and the more literature I started to read about it the more I was drawn into the story actually of, of, of the bible wow 
So Tati, who couldn't be here today, uh, has said there's probably nothing that could ever convince her that Christianity is true. <laughs> Did you ever feel that way in your um, in your punk phase? Were you ever like to the point where this is a fairy tale? Absolutely, I don't want anything to do with this. I, I found the story so ridiculous. I remember one Christmas um, Eve, I was um, drunk in the um, tramway in, in Vienna and I was reading the Bible story out loud just to ridicule those people that actually look, go to church and um, would think that's somehow relevant to read um, at that point. So I, I can I can relate to that feeling. I had no intention to become a Christian whatsoever. Um, <laughs> yeah. And now you go <laughs> around defending all those people yeah. for a living, huh? <laughs> Well, what about your wife? Was she in the same boat as you, uh, not believing? Yeah. Or Well, my wife has actually, she's half Thai, so she had a Buddhist background. Um, mm. And we met each other at a punk bar, so we had no, no. Um, so our journey was not a journey of faith. And when I when I became a Christian, we had two children. Um, and it was just one of the weirdest things ever for her, because like all of a sudden I started to read the Bible and was so... I was so interested in it. I felt like Jesus was speaking to me. It was so long. Every time I opened it up, I felt like, oh, wow, there's something new I learned about the world. There's something new about purpose. There's something new about meaning, um, something new about God. And I started to share it with my wife. And I think she thought I'm pretty, something went off in my in my brain at that point. But she has this natural tendency to always say no to whatever I say. So for the first mm-hmm. 12 months, she would challenge me in everything I would say about faith. And after 12 months, she was like, okay, I think you're right. I've asked enough questions. So I give in, which was very surprising <laughs> and very nice for me because after one, after 12 months of long, long discussions, um, she actually became a Christian too. And I think that was one of the reasons why I went into politics because right from the get-go from, from my faith journey, um, my faith got challenged um, by people's mm-hmm. questions because it was just not, not something that was... I, I didn't know any Christian when I came to faith at all because... Oh, Nobody would believe in Jesus um, that when 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 I came to faith. So I had actually to defend my faith to all my friends, to everybody in, in my surrounding. Why why would I actually go that direction? I had to Google a church to find a church home um, because I didn't know where to go at all at the at the beginning. Wow, I, there's so many questions I could ask you about that. Um, maybe one of them that I want to ask is. What, in the end, were some of the most convincing arguments for faith for you? What what set it apart from a fairy tale? Hmm. I think two things came together for me. The one was um, the one was just the, the fact that actually historically Jesus is is true and is relevant. So his resurrection days. If I look at his resurrection days, basically no way other way to explain the resurrection apart from. The grave is, is empty and something must have happened. It, the body wasn't stolen. So if, if Christ really rose from the dead, that made me take serious than all his other claims about himself. So there was this truth element to it. And then I remember because of because I, I became a father at the point I became a father. So when I was 18, I was a teenager. I haven't finished high school at that point. Um, I remember a day when I was um, very, very tired just from working full time and studying because I tried to finish my university degree. And at that point, I was investigating Christianity for three years and I stopped at a little Catholic church on my way home. Um, and I saw those three people on, on the cross um, in this passion scene that you have at the end of the Gospels. And two of them were very, very um, 
stressed out of uh, stressed out is probably not the right word, but like they were in pain. It was very, very difficult. And then Jesus was in the middle, so peaceful. Um, and I said, you know, if, if the story of Jesus seems to be historically true, and there's all this peace surrounding him, and I decided peace. Um, if that's true, I, I want that peace. I want to be part of that. So for me, the desire to have this peace um, mm. that Jesus promises and the historical facts came together and said, well, I think that's actually something uh, worth living for. Um, so it's, it's, but it's, it's a three-year journey that led me to faith. So there was not that one knockoff argument, but it's like slowly the puzzle pieces came together about, about Jesus, about faith, about the existence of God. Yeah. Wow. Leonie, what are, what's going through your head right now? And do you want to ask any questions here? Um, so first of all, I can like kind of relate to the first part that, um, so I think that in Germany, for example, Christianity is also like believing in God is something like really cultural. I feel like a lot of people say that they're Christians, but they don't really, I feel like their faith doesn't really take up a lot of space in their life. Like they say that they believe in God and they go to church like on Christmas or something, but then they don't really engage in the belief. Um, so I can relate to that. And then for me, one thing, so I know that the existence of Jesus is historically proven, but for me, there's so many like doubts with the resurrection. Like in my head, it's still, okay, someone could have moved the stone in front of the tomb or could just I don't know hit the body or something from him like there's so many things that that I don't know make me doubt the resurrection I know that that Jesus existed but like since it's been like over 2,000 years and there's so many possibilities that mm. could have happened mm. i mean I, I can yeah. relate to that just because it's quite incredible i mean to to prove somebody existed is 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 quite nicely but to prove somebody was that and is alive is mm. it, it is it's a huge leap um just because you can't prove it um i mean i, I don't know if i mean my my favorite um my, my main argument for that would be basically i'm a huge sherlock holmes fan and sherlock holmes makes the case like if you have if you have all the impossible hypotheses um, or theories thrown out, the one thing that remains uh, must be true. So, I mean, I don't want to go into a long monologue on the thought research, but we can speak about that um, if, if you want, Leonie. But um, I think from a Sherlock Holmes perspective, I think the resurrection is as crazy as it seems. It's the least crazy explanation for, for what happened. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, we can go into that. I, I don't know. I don't know what what direction um, Do you, you guys want to well, take. <laughs> I'll let Le Leone um, direct this a little bit because you asked or you brought it up, Leone. Do you want him to go into why he thinks it's the the most probable? Would that yeah. is that something you'd like mm -hmm. to hear? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you want, I mean, anything you're welcome to speak in German too. I don't. <laughs> it's, it's fine. You listeners yeah, don't I, care. I, I, <laughs> I, I butchered the word hypothesis, so I was like, ah, <laughs> I don't know how to say it properly in English, but yeah. Um, um, 
just just at the beginning before I start explaining the resurrection, Leonie, um, please feel free to interrupt me at any time. I have three kids. I'm used to getting interrupted, and I'm used to getting like every time nobody speaks, I'm just filling in the the, the void of of having the opportunity to speak. But just just feel free to interrupt okay. me at any point. Um, so basically, with the resurrection, as as you've said, uh, the fact that Jesus died is quite is quite um quite certain. Um, it's, it's actually been called the most certain fact of history, and that's also not controversial fact because everybody dies at some point, so it's not that that impossible um, at that point. And then the, the same is true for the burial. Actually, so Jews were, were very diligent in having the, the dead buried. It was very very important to not have them exposed. So at that point, it's it's quite um, quite uncontested. So we have basically two options: the grave is empty or it's not empty. If it's not empty, the the problem is that Christian would never have gotten off the start. Like you have all those crazy. I mean, there's this scene in in, in the book of Acts. It's it's the story of the, the early church basically after Jesus rose, and this there is this scene where Peter and John they go up and they they are told like stop speaking about Jesus's resurrection, um, and they say, well, we can't we can't stop because that's what we have experienced. And if, if Jesus actually would have still been in the grave, that, that would not make any sense because all the authorities would have had to do was, oh, well, but there is the grave. So um, obviously you guys are, are at some point, you, you're just insane. So if the grave <laughs> is empty, um, it, leaves, it leaves a couple more other options. Somebody must have stolen the body or something must have happened. So it could either be the Romans that have stolen the body. It could be the Jews. It could be... Um, thieves that stole the body or it could be an apostle. So we have four possible, very plausible explanations that are possible. So, But if you look at, at the Roman soldiers, that doesn't make any sense at all because they had the easiest access, so they would have been the, the first ones to steal the body. They probably had a, a couple hundred soldiers there. Um, but them stealing the body doesn't make any sense at all. They had no purpose in stealing the body. If they stole the body and then the whole Jesus thing all of a sudden took off because the apostles believe he rose from the dead. At that point, they would have had to be like, oh, wait, wait a second, there's a misunderstanding. We have stolen the body. Here it is. Guys, all come down. Stop running around speaking about the dead man coming to life. So that doesn't make any sense to to explain the story that followed up, um, at least from my point. I mean, if it makes make sense for you, Leonie, just yeah. interject and, 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 and question what I'm saying. Um, the second option would be the Jewish authorities to have stolen the body, but that's even less likely than the Romans because they were the ones that actually persuaded the Romans to, to have Jesus killed. And they are the ones that persuaded the Romans to actually guard the grave because they were afraid that Jesus would have been, um, been stolen by the apostles at some point and they would claim he rose from the dead. So that's something that's actually specifically referred to in the Gospels. So the Gospels are very, very honest about possible alternative theories at that point. Um, and it's just not likely because they have no no purpose in stealing him. So that leaves two main culprits. It's The one is thief, grave thief, and the other one is, um, is the apostles. Grave thieves are actually the most um, plausible of all explanations because they uh, not the most plausible it would be the resurrection, obviously, that's the case I'm making, but the um, grave thief would be the, the most plausible because that's something that happened at the time. So when you have, this, you have the description of when Jesus is buried, there's very, very valuable ointments giving in, there's some valuable stuff that's put into the grave with Jesus. And 
that's usual custom at the time. So thieves would come and then I then try to steal those things at that time. But if you if you put yourself into the shoes of a thief in in, in the year around 30 um, AD, um, and you have a very calm night in Jerusalem and you're about to to rob some graves and you have plethora of graves that are not not guarded by Roman soldiers and then you have this one grave guarded by Roman soldiers. Well, I mean, why would you actually try to steal the body from a, from a grave where a where hundred Roman soldiers are in front of it? So I think mm-hmm. grave thieves does make too much, too much um, sense at that point. Also, the most valuable thing they could have found in the grave was actually Jesus' body. So at that point, they would have had to sell it to the most um, persuaded bidder, which would have been probably the Jewish authorities if they have the body and the the um, the the rumors spread that Jesus rose from the dead. Then selling the body to the authorities would have actually been quite quite fitting um, profit profiting margin. What about? Um, yeah. Can I ask a, a, sure. a devil's advocate question? I mean, I, I, I'm holding a long monologue at this point. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I know a lot more about the Bible than maybe uh, Leonie yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering, what about a zealot who wanted political upheaval and wanted to mm. cause a bunch of problems? That, like, that's an interesting ever... theory, because at that point, it would actually stir the pot um, mm-hmm. a lot. So huh, let me think about the theory. Let me think about it. I mean, in, in 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 terms of like political conspiracies, that would make actually a lot of sense because then it would stir the pot. But then again, that would actually be quite a huge story. I mean, if if you have a hundred Roman soldiers and you, you need a, a small army of of zealots to come in, fight those Roman soldiers, steal the body. There's no record of it. There is no record for that, and that, that's not the claim. So we actually one thing that persuaded me about. Um, the reliability of the Gospels is the fact that it's so honest. I mean, mm-hmm. in Matthew 28, which is the last chapter of, of, of one of the biographies of Jesus, it actually mentions two theories for the for the resurrection. It mentions, well, it could have been that the apostles stole him, or it could have been um, that he rose from the dead. If actually a group of sellers, which I, I, I've never come across this theory, Channel, but now I'm very, very like, oh, well, that's a very interesting political theory, like with all the political clashes. Why why not? That would be interesting. But I, I just don't, I, I think this, that would be the most natural thing for the Romans to gravitate, like in all the political explosiveness. They would be like, it was the salads, let's go, out, let, let's get those guys. I mean, if, if those salads attacked him, because it's, we, we, we always, like in those nice little Easter places, you always imagine like there's this grave, there's this stone, there might be one or two soldiers. But it was a huge troop there in front of it. It's a huge feat to come in and steal the body, um, which also well, quite... The, yeah, sorry. The, no, I was just going to say, mm-hmm. and then you'd have to account for the disciples and their witness accounts and everything yes. else, which is, I'm sure, a different point, but... Yeah, that, um, yeah. I mean, that that's the last theory. Like, that, okay, you could say that apostles stole him, but then the whole story, I mean, the whole change in the apostles is just amazing. Mm-hmm. I actually had on my... On my um, dialogue format. I had re- quite recently had a, a, a secular university professor and, and uh, evangelical university professor discuss the resurrection. And even the, the secular university professor was like, okay, I mean, the grave must have been empty. The stories, I mean, there's the first witnesses of the resurrection um, are women, which are, who are not a reliable testimony at the time. Um, 
is actually quite amazing about Jesus. And if you think about Jesus and women, all the major core doctrines of Christianity are witnessed only and exclusively by women. You have the, the virgin birth, you have the crucifixion, and you have the resurrection, which are the prime witnesses of women. And women are not to be taken as they're not reliable witnesses at all in those the culture. There's actually a um, historian from the time who says, well, I'd rather burn the evidence than be re rely on a woman for, for testimony. And if the apostles stole it, if that's the best explanation, they, I mean, the apostles look like the absolute fools in the story. They, they It's the women who find out Jesus rose from the dead. They don't believe the women. They are proven wrong. They are always shown to be afraid. I mean, the Gospels are ridiculous, Chanel, <laughs> if you read them. They are such incompetent people. <laughs> well, I love the part where one... <laughs> I love the part where one runs ahead is that John runs ahead of Peter yeah. and, and it's and like, like marked in the Bible. And I was the faster one. Yeah. I mean, they're like, funny. In, like even in the Gospels, they're like, they never get it. Like Jesus says something and then they're like, they didn't understand what he was, what he means. He starts arguing like he says, oh, like Jesus makes a saying about like his divinity and they start arguing like who is among them the greatest and why would he be so upset with them? It's like, this story wasn't about them. They just completely misunderstood the point. If you make up those stories, you would not make yourself look so foolish. I mean, it's so transparent, it's so vulnerable, those gospel stories. Um, so I think for the resurrection, like the apostles, because that would be the, the probably most persuasive theory for most, most people today to say the apostles stole him, doesn't make sense because they are utterly changed. I mean, they, they are afraid. Peter runs away crying. Um, when confronted if he if he believes in Jesus, he's like, I don't don't want to be associated with him, runs away crying. Most of them are gone at that point. They are afraid. They they know actually authorities are gonna come for them now that they killed the leader. Um and all of a sudden they boldly come out, they proclaim Jesus rose from the dead. They they are completely changed. They are Galilean peasants that all of a sudden start preaching, traveling, um, being bold, being clear, being wise that they've never been before. And so for me, that wouldn't account for the change. I mean, that if they stole the body, I mean, there's people dying for lies always. There's people being taken in always, but rarely for their own lies. It's usually the, the lies of somebody else. And so if they stole the body, why, why would they be so, so much changed by, by it? Um, and for me, that, that's actually the most persuasive the change I see in the apostles all of a sudden. The way they di live differently, they love differently, they, they, they think differently um, all of a sudden. And now I've spoken way too long. Um, I don't know what you think about think about it, Leonie, um, or Chanel. It, it was quite convincing because so for, I, I don't really have that much background knowledge about that. So the Sherlock Holmes thing was, was a pretty good explanation. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I love Sherlock Holmes. It's it's a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> actually, my, I wrote my last university paper on Sherlock Holmes and, and Christian faith. How to how he actually brings light into Christian faith. So that's something I'm quite passionate about. Uh -huh. One thing that Leone asked, and Leone, you can clarify how you asked this because it was different than what I have written here. But she asked about how can you risk your whole life on something that could possibly be a lie. Um, she articulated it better than me. Do you want to mm -hmm. change it? Um, yeah, I think 
what I said was like, how can you dedicate your whole life to something uh, where you don't, when you don't even know if it's like true or not? Mm. Like when you don't really have, well, I don't know if everyone needs scientific proof. I, mm. I do. <laughs> but how can you dedicate your whole life to something when you can't really prove that it's right? I mean, what if it's all a lie? Mm. Yeah, that, that's quite a, quite a good and important question just because, I mean, obviously the, the higher the risk or the higher the price you got to pay, the more certainty you want. I mean, if I buy snickers it's quite easy the bar for persuasion is quite easy because it just costs me um very little whereas if i buy a car there's probably a lot of proofs i want i want some some tests by the mechanics i want some empirical evidence that this car is actually running and i want some some other background documentation you know staking your life on something is um is probably the highest price you can pay for anything um have you seen the the movie inception leonie no, uh, I'm getting old. Such a... <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, um, so the, the, the point I, I would like to make is basically we all live by faith at some point. So the, 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 the way I would frame it is basically if, if the way we orientate our life is always through stories. We need, we need stories that, to make sense of our lives. And most of the things we we oriented our lives from are very very hard to prove. They are proved um, indirectly. So, for example, if I if I marry somebody, which is quite a big decision, where I stake my life on somebody, I don't have direct empirical evidence for the love of, of my partner. I have indirect proofs through um, kindness. I have indirect proof through their willingness to to express love to me i have all kinds of indirect proofs that make me gather the the, the facts that make me think well i think that this that this person is worth um spending the rest of my life with but i have I have no proof for the future whatsoever i mean it's impossible to prove something for the future and so i i think about faith in a similar way where it's like okay it's very hard to prove faith empirically in the sense of like I can't prove God empirically because I, he's not in the lab. I can't empirically prove history. I can't um, prove trust in any meaningful way apart from indirect proofs, apart from does this person give me evidence to trust him so far? Um, so I, I get the question. My, 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 I, <laughs> without being unfriendly, I would always try to then tell people like, well, but, what are you staking your life at the moment on, on which hopes? Because human beings are basically driven by hope and by story and by um, by faith at the end of the day. It's always a leap of faith um, that people take in order to make sense of the world. Um, I think the only alternative, so yeah, I mean, that probably didn't convince you yet, Leonie, but um, does it like, like would would that be something that you would think is um, at least truthful to that point that we always need to live by faith to some degree? Um, I don't. You can don't say know. no. I'm not. I'm not offended. <laughs> if somebody disagrees she with said, me, it's a no. <laughs> no it's, I know it's that faith no for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. How 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 would you account for? 
I mean, I don't know if you're in a relationship or something. She is. Have to... Okay. She's That's in good. love. Congratulations. You, we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for me, with the yeah. love thing, it's something that you can like really feel. And honestly, I think, you know, we talked about this um, in the first episode. So it's not that I haven't tried mm. um, like praying or something because I saw how much it gives other people, but I never like felt something. I, I never like received something back. So I was like, okay, that's it for me. Mm. God doesn't exist. Mm. Um, so love is something that I can feel, but like the the faith, I don't. Maybe it's yeah. because I don't like hundred percent like believe in that, um, and that's maybe the reason why I didn't receive anything um or like i didn't feel anything but because i couldn't feel it it wasn't there for me mm. i i get that i mean i'm i think feeling feeling faith is something that is very dependent on the person i feel i feel like so my my most people in my friendship sort of they're very very much touchy feeling that way they they, they really like that i am kind of a um bookish person so i'm I'm not that much into like I, I feel feel Jesus very very int intimately, and for me the way I encounter it in in my feelings is usually through um, through books. I love books. I, I read books, and I'm very very much persuaded by by that. So I think feeling has is a double edged thing because I think you have to somehow feel it. I agree with you, but feeling can be very very like I mean there's different love languages, and I would I would. They, there's different faith languages in a, in a similar way. People experience faith differently. Um, but, I, but I get the challenge. I mean, love is more in, in, um, direct because you obviously see the partner. So you you at least know he's not a mm -hmm. fictional partner in, in most cases. You can touch them. You can know they are they are there. You have a, a lot of certainty. I think with faith, it's, it's similar, but it's obviously there's the component of I mean, don't want to be blaspheming, but like God seems like an invisible friend in, to some mm -hmm. stage. And the is like, do I want to stake my my love on on an, on an invisible friend, which makes it sound crazy? But for me, um, it 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 really comes down to, I mean, one way I would think about faith is in terms of lenses, in terms of glasses that I try to see the world through. So there's this beautiful quote by one of my favorite authors um c.s lewis where he says i believe in christianity as i believe the sun has risen not because not only because i see it but because through it i see everything else and that's actually one of the main ways for me christianity is real and truthful it's not that i i can't see god directly nobody even the bible says nobody is seeing god face to face um apart from jesus christ where he we encounter his grace and his truthfulness. Um, so we don't. I don't see God in my day-to-day -day life. I don't see um, God in that sense. But through God, through faith, I can actually make sense of so many things that I find valuable. I mean, for me, so much we value in our in our secular society: love, um, compassion, mercy, um, human rights. Um, come down to a perspective of faith for me um trust i mean it's it's so hard trust is so hard to to break down i think uh, the, the thing with faith is you can't you can't force faith at at somebody you can't like it's sort of like love if if, if i i mean that in that in that way if if i if i 
tell you like, oh, there's this wonderful person. You got to meet this person. And it, I describe it. It will always be head knowledge. And you have to somehow encounter the person or somehow something has to click in you. Like, even if I would give the best description of somebody, there's something that has to happen in you. And I think it's similar with faith. But my, my, my way to faith would be if, if you plunge yourself into the story and try to view the world through the story of faith, you realize way more depth and, and dimensions and, and love and, and, and hope or make sense of that. I mean, if you're a Christian or non-Christian, you have love and you have hope and you have mercy. But I think Christianity makes so much sense of those things because sometimes we, we kind of view them in a black and white picture. And I think Christianity then opens up so much, so much more colorful picture for me. Um, yeah. I don't know if that makes some some yeah or some way to explain it but yeah at the end of the day i can't i can't i i, I realize like there's limitations to a conversation too i think that that's what 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 the beauty right? listening to janelle and her opening up her family is quite beautiful because that's a very different dimension than to to experience faith because you see faith in action love at, in, in it works if you see somebody whereas if i sitting at a zoom call and, and giving arguments it, it's just one component but it mm -hmm. can't obviously show the same love that Chanel can um, in that sense. I'm yeah. laughing because I, because <laughs> we, we had a little disagreement. This <laughs> <laughs> Which is part of love, actually. <laughs> I, I regularly have disagreements with my wife and um, <laughs> it happens. Uh, yeah. So I know C.S. Lewis, he said, I, I read Surprised by Joy. I, mm -hmm. I didn't read the last chapter, but I know at the end, he's like, I was the most reluctant convert, right? I had mm -hmm. all of this knowledge. I mean, he started digging in, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think it was Tolkien and a couple other guys. Was it the Groundlings? Is that what they were doing? They were Inklings. getting together. Inklings. Inklings. Okay. Yeah. What, what is the Groundlings from? That's from something else. I don't no know. Clue. It anyway, like, yeah, the inkling. <laughs> I know. Maybe it was some movie they made. But anyway, um, but he said, you know, he resisted it, and then to to the point where he was overwhelmed um, with knowledge, and and then gave his life to the Lord. Right. Mm -hmm. So, at what point was that for you? Did you um, were you reluctant in coming to that conclusion? Did you feel like you couldn't resist any longer? Like it was something calling you? Mm, um, definitely. I mean, so I, I had uh, the scene that I described earlier where, where I was sitting in this in this small church all by myself looking and I said, oh, I would love that piece. I googled the church, I went to the church and basically went along for a couple of months. And then my semi-Buddhist wife um, gave me a book for Christmas because she thought, well, if, if I'm into Christianity that much, maybe I should read a Christian book. So she bought a book um called um not a fan by carl idleman i don't know if you're familiar with that book it's, I think it's not, heard of it yeah it's, it's not that important but for me that that i read that book at christmas and my wife can testify that the last time i cried before i read that book was when i watched braveheart with 12 years old so it was like a long time passed since i last cried i'm not a particularly emotional person in that sense oh yeah in that sense i'm an emotional person but i'm not a crying person um and I read that book and it was basically like about the call of Jesus where it says, come follow me, walk with me. Um, and I started crying. I was really, something clicked and was like, okay, that's, that's not just have knowledge. It's not just about me knowing about Christianity. Now it's about a life. It's about a walk. It's about a journey. 
And I think that mm-hmm. that's the thing with faith. It's 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 a journey. I, I mean, my faith is at a very different place. It was almost nine years ago when I came to faith, eight plus years when I came to faith. But it's a journey that I'm I'm growing deeper and deeper into. There's this beautiful picture. I mean, now I mean, if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, you know the the picture that C.S. Lewis paints in Narnia, where he's there's this Narnia is this beautiful children's story about um, a couple of children that live in the, in the, in this mystery mystery land or a fictitious land called Narnia, and at the end there is this beautiful picture where they go deeper in and deeper in into into Narnia, and it's it's always extending. I feel like that's what faith is. It's going deeper into into the, into the mystery of God, going deeper and deeper into it um, at some some sense. So yeah, I've experienced it. That's a very long answer to a very short question. The answer is yes. Feels <laughs> 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 like I've, I've been speaking for too long on that, on that no, short question. <laughs> I'm loving your answers. Um, what did you find uh, in giving your life to Christ? How has your life changed in the last nine years from before you were a believer? That it, 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 it's, 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 I think what what changes is your whole life orientation changes at the end of the day. I mean, my I, my ambitions changed. I think my ambitions before I came to faith were very much driven by um, a desire for for creating my own worth, for creating my own value, my own meaning, um, and always coming up against against block points that blocked me. Where I was like, okay. But if I go that way, I'm hurting this person or hurting that person. I'm always, I felt like, yeah, very Nietzschean in that sense of like, okay, it's it's always me against somebody else. And if I want to have, create my own meaning, I, I have to to step over boundaries that way or this way. And it was very hard to find orientation. Whereas with Christianity, you find, okay, if, if, if the most foundational truth about the world is a God of love and the world came out of a God of love, um, it means that I can rest in that. I can rest assured in that. And all my life is driven now not by me creating my own worth, creating my own self-esteem, creating my own story, but I can actually enter into a story where I'm already loved. I'm already accepted. I already have worth. And now I can orientate my life toward that love. Um, and so I think it's just, I mean, it, yeah, it's just it's just less, it's, it's, it's the end of, I mean, if I would be a Buddhist, which I'm not, I would, I would call it like an end of striving and then arriving, which is also not true because it, actually in arriving and stopping to strive, you enter into a new journey um, and you realize you haven't arrived. You have arrived in some way, but you haven't arrived. You're invited with the person you arrived at to walk forward. I mean, if I go practically, I think it's my, my main ambition in life because I, because I was a punk and I was doing drugs and I haven't finished high school when I became a father. My main ambition after becoming a father was becoming clean, stop doing drugs um, and proving everybody wrong. So I had a, the guys in school when I told them that um, I'm becoming a father were like, okay, I mean, you're drug addicted, you haven't finished school, you barely come to school, so probably end up on the streets. And so for me, my journey then forward was proving everybody wrong, showing everybody I can be um, somebody I can make my, my own life and so the main goal was when I'm 30 I want to be in a management position at a big company want to be successful um, want to show every prove everybody wrong whereas with coming to faith then at age um, how old was I 25 yes 
Um, was for me, um, well, I actually don't have to prove everybody wrong. I don't have to hold to show them, oh, I'm, I'm better than you ever thought, but actually to accept forgiveness to say, well, yes, I, I'm broken. I've done wrong. I can't be honest with that. I can't be transparent with that. I can't be authentic with that. Um, and that actually, I mean, that changes your relationships. It changes my relationship with my wife. If I can, if I'm able to say sorry to her, if I've done something wrong, um, it helps me. And having Jesus in the background and knowing like how much he loved me and how much he invites me to be authentic with my own failure, um, that helps relationships. Obviously, it helps with, with your children because you stop striving. You don't have to prove your children are the the next best thing but you can just love them for who they are um and walk with them i think mm. yeah, that, i mean there's so many ways i could think about it but yeah i mean that's the spontaneous answer i'm coming up with probably it falls short if i'm rethinking it and re-listening to the podcast I'm like ah oh, why did i say it that way but um that just means you have to come on again that that's all that means <laughs> it was correct great. everything i said wrong <laughs> no. leonie any thoughts on that um, I think so. What I also see in your family is what he just described. Mm. Um, that um, that I feel like that Christianity, it like the faith kind of gives you also like some some guidelines. I would say to live like a like happy life and to love others and everything. Um, and I think that it can make a huge difference whether you believe in God or not. And that's also why I'm interested in like finding out more about it. You had some questions about those um, quote unquote guidelines and you had even made some notes in school today, which I thought was amazing. And you came up with some great things that you wanted uh, to discuss here. So would you share those? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I thought of like certain, um, yeah, rules. Can you call them rules in Christianity or like guidelines or, um, and I thought, okay, can you still be like a good Christian when you don't follow those rules? Um, and I thought of like the thing of when, when you have like an abortion or something, mm. like one of the 10 commandments is that you should not kill, for example. Um, and I think that refers to that. Another one was sex before marriage and then um, divorce. And um, not, what if you, you don't put God before everything else in your life? Mm. Like, can you still be a Christian if you don't follow those rules? Mm. That's a really, really valid question. Um, Good luck with that question. <laughs> yes. I mean, all those easy questions, abortion, sex before marriage, yeah. divorce. Um, yeah. So um, how, how many hours do we have for this, for this conversation? You know what? This is part one. If you want to listen to part two, uh, listen in a couple of months. When... No, I don't know. <laughs> we'll do something um, like that. <laughs> You don't have to. Um, yeah. No, no, but, it, but it's, a, it's a really, really valid question. And for me, it's a very, quite actually, quite personal question. I mean, um, following my story, Leonie, I mean, I had sex outside of marriage because I had two kids before I had, I was married. And the way the thing works, obviously, I, I, yeah. I didn't have sex before, outside of marriage. Um, and obviously, having been a teenage father, I know about difficulty, like the possibility of abortion is obviously 
something that came up in, at that time. Um, mm. And the relationships break. I mean, my parents separated when I was a, when I was a teenager. So I, I, I know all those. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think the way I would start to think about it is like, okay, what makes a good Christian? What, what makes a Christian um, a good Christian? I think the, the main answer is obviously first thing that comes to my mind is, is actually grace. So there is nothing that disqualifies you from, from grace at, 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 at any moment. I, I would I would say at that point, because Christians have always been wrong. I mean, there is no point in his... I, I love church history primarily because it gives me grace, because Christians have always been, been on wrong sides of issues and then correcting themselves and always it's back and forth. And I think that that's something that helps me. I mean, there is... Um, there's always grace. There's always redemption. I think that's that's the second word that come to my mind. Like if if we, it's it's not about like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians, um, German theologian who um, died as a martyr in, in World War II. He said, you know, there's this cheap grace. He was like, okay, but God will forgive me, so I can do whatever I want. He said, he called it more expensive grace, where you, where you say, well, I accept the forgiveness. I I, I counted as forgiveness. I've done something wrong, um, and now. I walk forward um, in that forgiveness. So I think there's nothing you could do that disqualifies you from grace. There's always forgiveness. There's always redemption. Um, but then on the on the on the other the other way to to enlighten it. Um, so again, asking before I give an illustration. Have you do you know Lord of the Rings, Leonie? Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Helps my illustration. Um, it's relevant. I'm not familiar with the single characters, though. But okay, yeah. but you know the overall gist of the story. Yeah. I, I won't go into yeah. character descriptions of of, of details. <laughs> but um, so the overall story is, is a journey, a fellow, the journey of a fellowship. So um, you have um the hobbits, Frodo, Sam, um, and the others, and they journey towards Mordor to destroy to destroy the ring, and to some extent Christianity. It's kind of the journey. You 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 become part of this journey to to destroy the, the forces of evil in the world, and you you become part of that where you um, bring light and you bring an end to darkness into the world. And so obviously there's a commitment that comes with with the journey, um, but it doesn't mean that they're not constantly falling in short in the in that story. So there's this tension between like them going on to the journey, trying their, their best to be part of the journey, constantly falling short, um, and somehow by the providence of God, still the journey goes on and they, they choose to come in. I mean, are you, I just said I don't go into the details of characters, but now I'm doing that. Do, um, do you remember Boromir, the, um, the guy? Okay, there's, there's, uh, on the fellowship, you have a couple of humans, a couple of hobbits, a, a couple of elves, and a couple, and a dwarf um turning together and one of the human beings is actually quite a very noble human being Boromir and he he wants to have the ring um in order to help the world because he disagrees with the strategy so he wants the power of the ring and in that um he actually does a huge mistake in in trying to to completely take over the group and then he dies in 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 the struggle surrounding that and, and there's redemption spoiler alert yeah spoiler <laughs> alert but it's just part one um i'm very sorry but if you no, have okay. 
I mean, the book came out in the 60s and the movie came out in the early 2000s. So if you haven't read it you're, yet, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I think that that's that's part of it. So I think there is, there's a a churning a, a, a aspect, and part of a journey means that you make mistakes. But are you staying on on the journey? Are you coming back to the journey? So it's not a, it's not a thing where you're like okay, there, there's this saying by one French nobleman in the 18th century said, you know, at the end God will forgive me because that's his job. I think that's that's cheap grace because it doesn't change us. I think Christianity, what Christianity does is we start following Christ, we encounter His grace, we encounter His forgiveness, but then Christ takes um, starts to live inside of us and tries starts to change us in many, many small ways. Um, and that's something we have to, to, to say yes to at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the most significant, because obviously we can speak about the details of, of abortion and, and, and sexual ethics and divorce, and I'm more than willing to do that. But for me, the most significant was your last point that you made, what, what if I don't follow Jesus wholeheartedly? And my honest answer would be, none of us does. I mean, the person who follows Jesus, I mean, I'm, I know I'm, as a preacher, I'm supposed to say, yeah, follow Jesus with all your heart, do that. But I'm always a bit, it, I, I always cringe up if somebody says that because I feel like that does not take into account the grace that we constantly need. None of us is wholehearted in anything. Um, mm-hmm. We are always um, split between different ambitions. I'm not a perfect Christian at all, but in any stretch of the imagination if you would have my wife on the podcast he could give you a whole list of evidences or my children or my best friends but i think what christianity is is it, it allows us to be honest with those mistakes with those moments where we're not wholehearted and it orientates us to christ so one of my favorite passages in scriptures in romans 8 when he says um that we all will um become like like Christ, um, so those who love God will will become like Christ. And I think that's that's uh, something which will never happen in this life. That will never happen in that side of eternity. But that's my ambition. It's it's being more and more loving, being more and more hopeful, being more and more um, faith filled, um, and being just honest. And I think that's why why for me the church is so important because the church is mainly for me about friendships, about people who journey with you, who are there with you. When I mean, I have doubts, I have problems, I have sins in my life, I have so many things that go wrong. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for the fellowship of friends that I'm churning with to to destroy the ring um, because they help me <laughs> on that journey. They, they walk with me, sort of like um, Frodo and Sam. Um, you, know, you know them both, right, Leonie? The, the two main hobbits in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at some point, Sam is carrying Frodo. At some point, um, Sam is actually carrying even the ring for Frodo when he almost dies. And they, they always walk together. I think that's what, what it comes down to. That, but that should not be an excuse, obviously, for hypocrisy in the church and all of that. So I don't want to excuse hypocrisy. I think it's just for me, if I speak with a person individually, I would always say, yeah. I feel you. If you're not wholehearted, um, I know those moments. I mean, I'm I'm not wholehearted. If I um, at, at some points, if I have a long day, I'm tired. I don't know what what God is doing at the moment. Why is some things happening? Um, that's where 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 forgiveness and faith and and so on come in. 
Um, mm. But yeah, we, I mean, I've not addressed your main questions. I, I'm more than happy to do that, but. Um, I think the last part was, was really, really good. Mm. Yeah, Lucky thank me. you. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> Thanks for sharing your personal experiences. Yeah, I think of it as a relationship over any type of quote unquote rules, right? Mm. Like it's Christ that changes us and makes us want that journey mm. and to keep mm. going on. Uh, it's him. It's that love. It doesn't mm. start with a bunch of rules mm. and mm. I don't know. And there's um, a pastor that's been on here a couple of times. I, I just love uh, the way he's so centered on grace and the gospel. But he talks about, you know, we don't front load the gospel. And so often people like know the rules, mm. but they don't know the relationship with the Savior. Mm. Well, why would you ever be on a journey if you mm. didn't know the Savior? Um, I mean, you can't you can't start with the rules. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, and, and that's a biblical thing. I mean, look at look at um, for me, one of the favorite examples that when I came across it, if you if you're familiar with the narrative of the Old Testament, you have the Exodus. So when 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 the Egypts are in 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 when the Israelites are in Egypt, they're slaves and God comes and he liberates them. And the Ten Commandments come only after that, after they they have experienced mm -hmm. liberation, the grace of God, they know like the God who came with, with a mighty hand to save them. Now they, and actually the, the Ten Commandments are often translated as you, you shall, that's what you're supposed to do. But actually they can't from, from the Hebrew, you can't, you can translate them as you will become somebody who does it. So you will become a person who's not killing. You will become a person mm -hmm. who is not um, committing adultery or who's loving God. So it's, it's this pro Christianity is basically starting the journey of being in process of becoming more and more wholehearted, but it's, it's a journey. And I think that that's so important for, for us, like you said, not front loaded with like this list of ethical rules. And I think Christianity has a beautiful ethics for climate change and for social justice and for all those different areas. And obviously also for relationships and for sexual ethics, but that's not what, what people need to hear. They need to be, to hear the story of liberation. And how then to make sense of that liberation in the life, how to live as now free liberated human beings. Yeah, absolutely. Any thoughts on that before we go to the next question, Leonie? I think it kind of answered my question. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gernot, uh, going back to something Tati brought up, um, when I asked her, and, and as I mentioned before, you know, she's uh, pretty closed off to the idea of faith at this mm -hmm. point, at least Christian faith. Um, but when I asked her what was compelling about the Christian faith, she mentioned the community. Um, and that's something that Leone has alluded to as well when she's talked about seeing the benefits of faith. Uh, do you think, uh, kind of piggybacking on your last question, do you think Christian community is uniquely set apart from other communities uh, people make through things like school or shared interests or work or even other religions? What, if anything, makes Christian community different and why is it so important? Wow. That's a really, really good and, and deep question. The first thing that comes to my mind is, um, is it's the diversity. I mean, if you go to school, you go to school with a bunch of kids your, your own age. Um, my brother is not a believer. He's very strong in the CrossFit community. I don't know if you, mm -hmm. it's the thing. Yeah. So he's like going to the gym and he has a huge community of people who are all 
look like they are very well, significantly better trained as I am. Um, <laughs> um, and so most communities, we, we, we gravitate to people that um, share the same social background with us or the same interest with us or the same age with us. Whereas Christianity actually, at its best, forces you into a community with all kinds of different people. I mean, if I, I go to a small um, Lutheran church in, in my hometown, where most Sundays 50 people attend, but I'm there with Iranians, Afghanis, um, people from, from Indonesia, from Ethiopia, obviously from Austria, from Germany, from all kinds of different parts of the world that I would not sit down and have a coffee with um, if I would not be at church. So there's something different in that way. And that's actually quite biblical. So there is a, a early Christian that in the second century where um, we spoke about the resurrection earlier. And the main argument that the, the apologist in the second century gives is he says, you know, if you look at a church, there's people coming from from even hostile ethnic groups that usually fight for centuries with each other, and now they go to church and worship Jesus. How else mm -hmm. would you explain it but that Jesus rose from the dead um, and the Spirit now lives among them? So I think there is something unique about Christianity in that sense. In its best cases, obviously, there is churches that ha church has done so much, so many mistakes in the past. But I think, but it, at its best, church brings together people from all different ethnic ground, backgrounds, um, social backgrounds, age backgrounds, um, on all different walks of the, of the journey of, of faith and life. I mean, so for me, that that's one thing that sets it apart. But then obviously that you could do that um, without having Christ in the center. I think what, what makes then Christianity a part as well is, is the fact that at its best, Christianity preaches the gospel of forgiveness, of hope, of grace, of Jesus being a Lord of over everything and restoring and redeeming this world. And that narrative that, that narrative actually then orientates all of us toward that, toward the journey. It all takes us together along alongside each other. But I believe that community for that reason, there is something I mean, Leonie, you spoke about the experience of faith. And I think that's one way people can experience faith in in those communities. So my 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 wife and I we started to um, to do a little Sabbath celebration Sunday Saturday evening um, most weeks so we come together for for feasting we have loads of food on the table and we basically set apart 24 hours Saturday night to Sunday night where we go offline and in order to like restore go out of the rhythms of of hurry and stress that surround us and to live. A, um, among us, and we we invite friends over sometimes for the dinner, or family over for for dinner, and most of them non-Christians, um, and that's one of the best apologetics we have because we start the meal with we we um, because we enter into Sabbath. Um, we always narrate the gospel story quickly, then um, we we confess that we've done wrong. We speak to each other peace or forgiveness to each other, then we break bread. Um, drink wine and then we um, feast and eat well and, and people see that does something with us. We embed the whole, the whole community we have Saturday night within the context of, of the story of Jesus. I think the community of the church should also be 
centered around or the, built on the foundation of the story of Jesus. Um, so that's another thing that um, sets it apart. It, it's it's a, it's it's centered around a story about a guy who lived two millennia ago, but who claimed to be God incarnate and to bring forgiveness and restoration to this to this cosmos. Mm. So I want to address uh, along those same lines, um, maybe a harder topic, um, but within that same question. Um, how do Christians preserve the grace and beauty of Christian community while acknowledging its flaws to outsiders? And um, as I mentioned to you prior to uh, pressing record, I asked you if it was okay to bring this up, mm. but I know you used to work uh, for a ministry associated with Ravi Zacharias. Um, I used to talk about him a lot here on the podcast, and I've had mm. several people who are associated with that ministry on, all wonderful um, mm. people and guests. I've been, uh, I was just blown away um, by their kindness and gratitude, um, or I'm sorry, their grace and uh, in, intelligence and Christ-centered. Um, for those who don't know, Ravi was a worldwide evangelist and uh, apologist and speaker with a tremendous reach. Um, he had a large team of speakers going all over the world, sharing about Jesus with world leaders and in academic settings, reasoning with people, um, just like what you're doing here and sharing the good news. Um, and I personally was very invested in watching a lot of the things that came out of RZIM. Um, and world leaders uh, mourned his death and his passing in early 2020. Mm. And then just a few uh, short months later, a uh, scandal kind of broke out. And mm. it turns out that maybe he wasn't who he said he was. Um, and I was personally grieved uh, mm. for my friends that have been on this podcast, for, um, for myself feeling like I'd been duped. Uh, for his own family and the thousands more um, and the people who would hear about this ministry. And so how do we know what is real? Um, I believe, just like you just mentioned, Christianity at its best is life-giving, sacrificial, loving, and true. Mm. But at its worst, it can be a horrible representation of Christ. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And how can Christians respond when things like that happen? Wow. Um... It's a it's a huge huge question. It's a very valid valid question. I mean, I I feel like like you, Chanel. I mean, for me, I came to faith around Christmas 2013, and one of I think within the first six months, I encountered the the podcasts and the videos of of Ravi Zacharias, and basically was my main discipleship for my, mm -hmm. the most formative years. So for me, when um, I realized like the whole fraud behind it and uh, um, everything that happened. Yeah, all that he does did wrong. I mean, all the the, sec the, the evil he did in behind the back doors while he was, was preaching and abusing women and so on. Um, I think 2021 was a very, very rough year for me personally. I mean, I, I have to, I mean, I, I, I resigned from ministry, took a couple of months off really to restore my faith to really think through those hard issues like do i even want to be on stage anymore and and you know defend christianity if, if christianity is so hypocritical to some mm -hmm. to some extent um how how do we do that i mean i think one i i, I kind of regret that i don't 
didn't bring, bring pen and paper. Even earlier with Leonis' questions, like I, I should have write, written down those questions so I don't forget to address everything in. But let let me let me try and then just hold me accountable for everything I forgot <laughs> to say and mention. Um, so um, I think what Christianity has to to re- there's two things that stand out to me, two or three things. Um, the one thing is um, Christianity has to learn. There's a, a verse in 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 a letter written by the Apostle Paul, one of the, possibly the earliest letter that we have from early Christians in, in 1 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians, as the Americans say. Um, the, and it, in that letter, Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet and respectful life. And I think that's something that, that's part of the journey of faith we to to. I mean, it, it sounds strange because usually we, we have a we have the ambition to become famous. We have the ambition to become great and become world changers. And Paul was such a world changer. I mean, he changed um, the way we we changed them. Basically, he took down the Roman Empire. I mean, that's how significant the gospel was. Um, he brought it to all ends of the known world back then. Um, but he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Like in all of those hustles, make it your ambition to be authentic, be who you are, be, be, don't try to be the person everybody admires, but be honest. Um, and I think that's something we have to relearn in Christianity. I think um, with the internet and with, the, with all those platforms we can build, sometimes it can, 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 can become a very toxic circle where it's all about fame and all about oh who who you know and we stop actually being focused on um trusting god i mean one thing that i love about c.s lewis is um he he became this very famous christian um or yeah defender of the christian faith in the 40s in the in in, in great britain and his books are still sold today but actually he had a very strange life because he he became a the reluctant convert early in his in, in, early, in the early 1930s. Then he lived a quiet life as an academic professor, was thrown into the spotlight for, for six to eight years. And then he basically retired again to become a professor at a university and, and stay there and was quite content with that. And I think one thing we have to learn as Christians is what, what really matters at the end of the day are those communities. What really matters mm-hmm. as Christians is, is living love in the relationships we have. If we don't have time to love our neighbor, um, but only speak greatly, give great arguments, um, want to be admired, we do something wrong. And one thing that really st- struck me, um, and that's, that's my second point, is there's actually, there was a book out that basically detailed a lot of the things that went wrong with Ravi two years before it, it became public um, for most of us as, as in the Christian community by an atheist writer called Stephen Bowman, who really detailed like how, how Ravi was dishonest and disingenuous with many things. And I knew the book existed, but I didn't even bother to look at it because I had the bias toward the, this Christian leader who was so well gifted, was giving so many recent arguments. And I, I really felt ashamed when, when you know, I bought the book after the scandal came out. I was like, oh, I could have known about it. It just would have bothered to listen to, to a non-Christian voice and I think, what we can learn as Christians is actually non-Christians. And that's what I love about those conversations. People can, you don't have to be a Christian to, to speak truth. 
We have to mm. listen to each other. We have to listen to people regardless of their faith background. And if they challenge us and if they hold us accountable, we have to take that serious. Because if Jesus is the truth, he can he can live with those challenges. He's strong enough to, to defend himself. We have to take care, to be honest. Um, and so we have to really walk the very, very tight tension of, on the one hand, grace, and on the other hand, um, hold people accountable. Um, and I think one thing that I, I realized that when really goes wrong in the church is we tend to hold accountable people that are just the regular believers. So if like to bring up the examples that Leonie brought up earlier, like there is, if, if you have a single mother in church, people might actually be um, sometimes be judgmental toward her um, because, oh, well, look at her. She, she didn't have a life in order. But if somebody's a gifted speaker, we wouldn't hold those persons accountable. Say, oh, but he's such a gifted speaker. We have to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think what we see with Jesus is he's the one who gives the benefit of the doubt to the people on the margins. He's the one listening to to Mary Magdalene, the prostitute. He's the one um, listening to to um, to peasants, to farmers, to to foreigners, um, to people outside of the community, and he's challenging the religious authorities. And we have to, as Christians, to start if if we really believe in grace, we have to listen to the people's. To the people who are on the margins, who are not inside us, rather than always um, priming those who are, who are inside us. Um, and that would help us to make it ambition to lead a quiet life, because to speak with outsiders, that's not something you can you can do in in, in, in public. Those people might not see, seek the spotlight. Um, and that, that, that's not to say that we shouldn't speak to world leaders. I mean, if probably if tomorrow some world leader would call me, I probably would take the opportunity to speak to them. <laughs> Um, just to, like to everybody else, but just yeah. to say, um, humility, yeah, the humility to, to, and to, to treat everybody the same at the end of the day. I mean, if, mm -hmm. if, if, if my neighbor knocks on my door and says, I have questions, do you want to go for, for a chat and a coffee and speak about faith? I should be as willing to speak to, to that person as I'm willing to speak to the world leader who's calling me, who's not, I mean, I've never been called by world leaders, but. Um, it should be the same, the same, the same quality because Jesus loves everybody the same. God created everybody the same. So we should have um, the gospel of love is not about me building a platform or anybody else building a platform, but it's about listening to people, loving people and giving them grace. Wow. Well, I have a ton of questions I can't ask right now because we are running out of time. Uh, I have two more questions here. Um, I do hope you come back on the podcast. I've loved hearing what you've had to say. And I think Leonie's loved it too, right, Leonie? Yeah. <laughs> it's a really great format. I think it's so much fun to speak with both of you. It's, I enjoy it. I'm sorry for, for all the very long answers, but yeah. No. That's, actually, that's actually really good. Mm. Yeah. Because so we had several conversations about my questions and in, in the living room for example <laughs> and um there were always like some things missing and like the explanations that I got like mm -hmm. I, I like that you took your time and just gave long answers because mm -hmm. it was more convincing to me than mm -hmm. um yeah other <laughs> <laughs> different giftings <laughs> thank you very much um, I, I appreciate yeah. that 
Um, I wanted to ask real quick, because you mentioned love, love and the Christian life uh, multiple times. And so I, I wanted to add this question. I heard a pastor uh, recently, um, and I don't want to say what my thoughts were about this, but he mm-hmm. said, uh, friends, the distinction of the Christian faith is not love. The distinction of the Christian faith is truth. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? I would um, lovingly um, disagree with that um, pastor. Um, what, what are my thoughts? I mean, can I quickly go into into uh, metaphysics? Or is Whatever. You go. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel bad. I know it's almost 3 a.m. there, but you go, you say whatever you want. Oh, great. great. <laughs> and I can always excuse my rambling for being tired. Um, That's right. <laughs> no. Um, so um, I'm, I'm very, very persuaded. So the, the Greek philosopher Plato, he, he speaks about reality in terms of three words. He says, basically, all reality points to three entities, beauty, truth and love. And he says those must be one at some some point. And he speaks obviously four hundred years before Christ. So he mm-hmm. thinks about like whatever you see, everything is valuable because of the truth in it, about the beauty in it, and about the goodness in it. It's not love; it's, it's truth, beauty, and goodness. Um, and he says those must be one because everything seems to be uniting among those three terms. And what early Christians did was they said, you know, truth beauty and goodness, they all come, the, 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 that was what Plato was seeking, this one thing where truth, beauty and goodness come together, that's Christ. Um, and I think if people differentiate truth from love, um, they do a disservice because, and similarly to, 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 to separating beauty from, from truth, or to, so something must be beautiful in order to be truthful, something must be good in order to be truthful. There is no such thing as a as an evil truth because that would um, actually make Christianity untrue. Um, because that would mean that the most foundational thing, because God is the source of truth, and so every every truth must be good. And so for Christianity, then that all boils down down to love. Like love is. In, in that sense, is part of that. It's the one thing holding those together. It's the love of God. So, no, I don't. I, 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 I mean, I, I lovingly would disagree just because that, that would, that would, I mean, we don't see that with Jesus. I mean, Jesus asked so many questions. I mean, he could, he could um, give you, uh, like, take, take Matthew 22 when we have all those stories in, in the Gospel of Matthew where people come with questions and Jesus usually is like, oh, what do you think? How do you explain that? Um, because he gives people the dignity. He could, when he's all-knowing, he's the all-knowing God, he could come in like, okay, argument number one, argument number two, argument number three. So you either believe that or you don't believe that. Um, and so he, he's not doing that. He tries to, to help people understand. He helps people think through. And then one last thing um, that I want, think is also relevant is it, it's, it's not a Christian view of humanity. I think... What we realize, if if we read the Bible, is that the Bible describes human most fundamentally as lovers, human beings. So we have the Enlightenment, René Descartes, the, the great French philosopher, he says, I think, therefore I am. So basically boiling down human beings as, as thinking beings. Um, 
whereas I think Christianity boils down to to love because of like you can't do anything sustainable that you don't love and you can't live any truth that you don't love. So you always have to bring those together. Um, if you, I mean, Christianity is about changing people's hearts. It's also about changing people's minds. Obviously, that's my job, but you only can change your mind if you change the heart and think somebody loves first yeah. and primarily. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I would disagree with this very nice. Yeah, nice yeah. <laughs> I, I did too. Uh, I know Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, but as you're saying, it was always in love. Um, his mission was love. Um, final question. The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love of those four gifts, and there are many more, uh, mm. that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ. Which of those stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? Restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Um, which one stands out the most for me? I think one that I marvel about the most at the moment is eternity, just because I can't grasp it. It's just so outside of everything else. I think um, restoration is the one, though, that, I, that stands out the most for me because it's so much at the heart. I mean, you can't separate. It's the same with, with truth, goodness, and beauty. It's like you can't separate. Because the point, the thing that restorate that re that brings restoration is love. At the end of the day, um, and you need authenticity to be restored. And you, it's eternity that restoration walks towards. It's a trick but, question. Um, yeah, <laughs> but re I think restoration stands out because it's like it's it's the it's the the, the direction that journey the journey is is taking. Um, so yeah, mm. but yeah. yeah, it's a trick question, Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, Grenoble and uh, Leone, and thank you so much, both of you, for being here. I hope we can do this again. Mm. Um, until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.